Welcome to another edition of the Power Connector Podcast. I'm your host, Derek Dickow, where I sit and have conversations with people I respect, admire in business, and have what I like to refer to as curiosity conversations, understanding a little bit more about the person, the story of their business, and how they build relationships along the way that's helped them be in the position that they're in today. With me today is a friend, Saab Grewal from Singh Development. Saab is a principal of Sing, where they develop, manage, own, and um, help people find a home, right, in the communities that they serve in Michigan and in North Carolina. Additionally, maybe some other communities that we'll talk about. But uh, Saab and I met uh, several years ago and uh, just admire the way that your family runs their operation and what you've built and what you're focused on for the future. But you're celebrating a big milestone for the company today and that is 50 years. Uh, congratulations on that uh, to you and to your family. But I'd love to start this conversation as I start all of my conversations with, uh, you know, tell me what's new and exciting. Well, I appreciate you having me, Derek. And uh, likewise, I think since the first time we met, it's been a great relationship and appreciate what you do um, for the entire Southeastern Michigan community and the development community in, in particular. So Hats off to you. Thank you. Thanks for having me here today. Um, like you said, our uh, 50th year um, in operation and business, uh, quite a milestone and something unique for us in that uh, it kind of just comes, right? And like hits you right in the face in that uh, we don't celebrate these things traditionally, right? And maybe it's just cultural not to like celebrate your wins, um, but from a company perspective and an operator perspective, really important to make sure that we get that message out, to show that we've been around, we've gone through bumps and bruises, not to say that we're not going to have any more going forward, but uh, we have experience um, and we got a team um, that people want to be a part of. And so great for us, um, excited, um, all based upon relationships. If you ask my father, my uncles, my siblings, um, those uh, that have been around the organization for a long time, it's built on relationships. Uh, once we get through relationships, it's built on hard work. Uh, once we get through hard work, it's built on making sure that we do the right thing. And a lot of times that's making the tough decision. Uh, so, you know, getting that uh, message out to folks in our community and our team uh, is important for us this year. Well, congratulations again. You've made a lot of tough decisions along the way. Projects change, interests change, but ultimately you're providing the most important thing that a, a consumer is looking for, which is a residence place to live. Take us back and help me with the historical about the Singh company, the Singh brand name. 50 years has been a long time. You know, it's a great story of the American dream. And so start us at the beginning. So companies started by my father and my uncles in 1973. Um, they were young guys. Uh, my father was in uh, undergrad at Wayne State University at the time. My uncles, my three other uncles were all fighting in Vietnam. Um, so weird time in life uh, for them to experience. And uh, I think at that moment, my father knew that he needed to create something that would help um, sustain an entire family, that they were in this thing together that they needed to support their family here and abroad. And um, I think he had a passion for real estate really young. And so they became land developers. Um, and fortuitous for them, right, is that they started buying land in the far-reaching suburbs at the time, which was like Novi and Rochester Hills, um, when the, the heavy growth areas at the time were Southfield and Livonia, uh, some of those kind of now infill communities um, but you know one thing that's been uh, important for them is that opportunity or change is always something that they gravitate towards and so when they started off just being land developers well there's a point in time where uh, there's a problem with land right the market uh, has dipped and so you're sitting on lots that you ordinarily would have sold to home builders that you no longer can sell to home builders. So they started a building operation themselves, right? 
and mainly to protect their interest in the land and be able to sell through, you know, periods of downturns, right? And after going through some, uh, you know, ebbs and flows of the economy, they realized that they needed to diversify their business model even more. And they got into multifamily development. Um, I think they built their first community in 1977 or 1978 um, in Nova as well. Again, 10 years ago was a buy, and they say that we need to diversify our economy even more. They're looking at data and demographics, and they started senior housing. Um, and they built an independent living community um, at the corner of Walton and Adams in uh, Rochester, across the street from uh, Oakland University. Mm, my alma mater. Yeah. And wonderful place, wonderful area. Um, eventually added onto that community and created an additional level of care, assisted living. Mm. Seeing that, uh, that, uh, that that community, the people that moved into independent living, you know, it was a difficult transition for them to move out of the building when they needed more care, right? But if you could add the care into the community that they were already in, that uh, it, it reduced the stress, uh, made sure that person uh, felt better about themselves, their family was more comfortable, and all of a sudden they had a better health care outcome as a result. Um, so, you know, that business started back in 1987 now, right? And so... Uh, a lot of years in senior housing as well. Continue to develop in southeastern Michigan, um, all throughout, um, in, in, in the suburbs primarily, um, Novi, Kent, and Rochester, Sterling Heights, West Bloomfield. Um, in the early 2000s, when uh, the automotive industry started to feel some shakes and tremors, um, decision was made to expand outside the state just to continue to add some diversification, knowing that Whatever we did outside the state would help the team and the communities inside the state, right? That if we had more diversification, that it would allow assets to be able to weather storms, right? And so when you saw a dip, that you didn't need to make some dramatic decision. That if there was a dip in occupancy or a dip in rents, that could you carry an asset for? another year, another couple of years. And in turn, are you carrying the people with it, right? Are you doing right by the residents that live there? Are you doing right by the team that works there, right? As opposed to making these short-term decisions. And so, you know, we started uh, expanding outside the state in 2003, 2004. Um, and now, you know, it's amazing. It's been 20 years that we've been outside the state. And we've set up an office in Raleigh, North Carolina, and from North Carolina, Raleigh, we, we, we've done deals uh, in Charlotte, North Carolina, and up into uh, suburban Washington, D.C., primarily Northern Virginia, and expanded the team. So, you know, at today, I would say that our uh, employee base is almost 50-50 inside of Michigan and outside of Michigan, um, and there's some great things about that because you know, if you're in the bubble of any one of these markets and communities, you know, the, the thought process is the bubble, the market insight is that bubble, right? But the minute you're operating in a couple of different markets, you have all these different people from different walks of life, it only makes your team better, right? Because these guys communicate with each other, they share resources, able to pick up the phone, talk to each other. Uh, and we try to, you know, make sure that we, uh, we create an environment that, uh, promotes that type of communication and collaboration. Um, and then also, you know, like uh, enjoying each other's successes, right? And so uh, even though, you know, there could be a downturn in one market, they can pick up the phone and call one of their their uh, peers or cohorts and, and uh, you know, congratulate them on a success in another market, right? And so sharing uh, wins together. And so uh, to date, you know, we, we continue to expand our, uh, our growth both uh, in the state of Michigan but outside the state as well. How big is the is the company in terms of employees and, and people that are actually on the team in the different markets? So give me a snapshot for Michigan and for North Carolina. I'd say that, uh, you know, we're probably, prior to the pandemic, we were probably a little over 2,000 employees. Um, as there's been a little bit of a labor crunch over the last couple of years, we're, we're probably a few people shy of 2,000 at the moment. Um, of that, let's say that 50 to 60 percent is in Michigan, another 30 to 40 percent is in North Carolina, and about 10 percent in the state of Virginia. And with a portfolio valued north of a billion dollars, I don't even want to get into the number because it's 
it's priceless, right? At the, this point, you got 50 years into it. What has, for you and your team, been the secret to your success in terms of keeping people on your team for 25, 30 years? I mean, it's incredible for me to see that people can come to your company to start as a young, you know, somebody maybe out of college, maybe, you know, 20 years old, but they're there 25, 30 years later running a company at the scale that you have. What has been the secret to your success with keeping and retaining talent? It's a core belief of ours uh, to treat people well, right? My great-grandfather said, it doesn't cost you a nickel to be nice. And I think every member of my family has heard that statement or understands that statement. And so from a business operation perspective, right, like you can't treat your people like numbers. You got to be able to look past that. Um, when somebody comes to work for you, it's not just a uh, nine to five. And there can be certain jobs that maybe are nine to five, right? But like, when people are looking for a career, uh, you can't just turn off the rest of life. And so the way we see it is that if you're going to ride with people during the good times, you better also have their back during difficult times. And I think that's maybe one of the big keys to why um, we have a, a strong relationship with our team is that whatever life throws at us, that will be a supporting block for them. Um, not that it always works. We do have a lot of people that celebrate, you know, major milestones, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, 25 years on an it's annual incredible. basis. Yeah. Um, and I, I think the focus is happiness, right? Is that, you know, you got to make sure that your team is happy. Happiness is a, is a very difficult and, and, and moving indicator, right? And so um, it's really just about pushing in that direction. Everybody can't be happy every day, right? right? But to know that you have this common goal of, of being happy or creating a happy environment um, is important to us. Is that an edict from the top? Was your father and uncles, was that from your grandpa? Give me an idea for where that sort of mentality blossoms from, right? Because if I understand it correctly, your father, there were immigrants when they came over. They probably didn't have a ton of relationships or a ton of money to get started. So that was rule number one, always treat people good. Always. I think it, it's probably a cultural thing, right? Probably mm -hmm. goes back to faith. Mm -hmm. um, you know, that we're all equal. We're all brothers and sisters, right? That lock arms, move forward together. It most likely carries uh, generations, but, you know, I have a direct experience with my father and my uncles and, and that generation above me um, on their value system, right? And uh, like all kind of close families, we meet and we dine together on a regular basis and we, we share experiences and emotions together on a regular basis. That cultural stuff is built at the dinner table, mm -hmm. right? It's built around the sofa, right? It's built on the back porch. And so... Um, that's the kind of philosophy that uh, has been, uh, you know, embedded in us from necessarily day one. And uh, it's easy, like, I guess, in a family business, right, that uh, it's hard not to mix, you know, your family values and your company values, right? Now, there they has become, to be a they line become one and the same. Exactly, right? Yeah. right? And, and, and everybody kind of picks that up. And so... Um, I think we try to treat the business a little bit like that, obviously with all the professional boxes that are necessary to be around it, but make sure that you have a free open environment that uh, allows people to grow, uh, allows them to be seen, um, allows them to be heard, but uh, you know, provides an environment that uh, um, will push forward towards success. There's so many companies, just due to the change of market conditions, technology, opportunity. It's moving at such a fast pace these days. You know, companies are in and out of business in a year, two years, five years. Celebrating 50 years is a massive milestone. I think, you know, if we, we look back maybe 100, 150 years ago, people just expected to be with one company, whether it was a trade or a farmer or something before, that was it. That's all they did. And here you have the ingenuity to continue to expand and to grow and to find opportunities how does it work in a family business? Because sometimes, help me understand how to make it work in a family business. Because sometimes 
you know, you have the first generation, they set the stage, you know, this is what we're doing. This is how we're doing it. Sometimes the second generation isn't always in lockstep with that mentality. People have differing opinions. People have ideas, maybe the education circle of friends, the whole thing, right? How is your family able to successfully navigate the waters of being a second generation firm growing into another generation? And how, how are you able to do that? Uh, like any business, it's, it's not easy, right? People are still people, even if they're your families or it's an employee or a team member, right? Dealing with people is always going to have some friction, right? And so um, it's, a, it's the ability to work through those types of things, right? And, and success is easy to celebrate, right? It's, it's, it's when failure happens, how do, you, how do you gather around that and, and make sure you push forward? Um, I think for a family business to be successful, um, in uh, a, a next generation, whether second, third, fourth, right? There's got to be a passion for the business, right? That the business comes before everything else, right? Um, the other is, is that I think from uh, uh, the, the, uh, the founder's perspective, got to make sure that you bring in people to the family business that add value, right? Just because somebody's born with the same name or in the same family doesn't mean that they're necessarily the right fit for, for operating in a family business. And so um, I think when you got those couple things, right, that, that you have the potential to add value, right, and that you have a passion for the business, um, then you have the right kind of foundational blocks to con continue to grow this, right? Now, again, like any business, it's going to have, you know, like I can shoot out an idea and it could be swatted away like Dikimi Mutombo, right? But, you know, you got to keep going at Dikembe Mutombo, right, in yeah. order to score a basket. And right. so, and so, and but when you score that basket, then maybe you get the respect, right? He's still going to wave the finger at you, right? But like, you still get the, you get to get the respect to, to to continue to move forward and continue to generate ideas and add value and participate in that growth. Yeah, it's not an easy thing, right, to transition into the family business. And I think you make a great point. Just because you have the last name or just because you're related there's still a lot of work to do and people have to find their, their value system within the company. Of course. Right. And, and again, like the, the, the greater family is always going to be a resource. Right. And so uh, for us, we're lucky, right. That uh, I got several talented family members all over the country with such great uh, backgrounds and they're, they're experts in their field. Right. They're all resources, right. They're all people that are so capable. Right. And so um, making sure you, uh, keep those bonds and those connections in place are key to, to building this stuff. What are some of the secrets that you or strategies that you implement to build relationships with people that are important to you? Can't be afraid to meet, right? You got to be always meeting, reading, listening, right? Uh, developing those connections. Um, I think sometimes in a family business, and maybe it happens all over the place is that, uh, um, or a family business, like in my case, right, is that uh, you come into the business, right? You have this kind of brand, right? And everybody expects you that to, to know the answer, right? That, okay, he's that guy. He's part of that family. He uh, sits on that seat. He's got this title. He must know the answer. I, mean, I talk personally myself. I don't know all the answers, right? The key is... Uh, you know, making sure your ears are open. Don't get caught up in the nonsense, right? It's just because somebody wants to call you a boss or a leader and all that kind of stuff. Don't get caught up in that. You don't have the answers to everything, right? We're always continuously learning. Um, you got to meet, build relationships, learn from others. Uh, I always like it to think that uh, just surround yourself with the smartest people. Um, I'll be happy any day of the week to be the least capable person in the room. <laughs> Right. <laughs> right. And so, um, yeah, I, I generally just having a genuine, respectful relationship with folks. So are you consistently meeting with others outside of the organization to help tell your story, to help source talent? I mean, what are some of the ways that you go about that? I mean, I'm sure your calendar, if I looked at it, you know, you probably got 10, 15 meetings a day, 15 minute phone calls, right? It's, uh, you know, I try not to have like the, the, those types of things. I, I think for me, it's really just uh, sitting down and having coffee. Mm -hmm. 
I like coffee, right? And then so you just sit there and chew the fat. Mm-hmm. I get to know somebody. And then it could be somebody that you, you've known for several years, right? And you're comparing notes. Um, it could be somebody that's uh, trying to hustle you for some new business, right? But in that whole sales presentation, you get this these data points or this uh, notion that, uh, that, that comes back to you and says, you know, that's a great idea. Maybe we could adopt something like this and move forward, right? Or there's some common relationship. Like, you know what? I'm not going to work for you today, but I know somebody that I think you would get along with really well. Can I put you guys together, right? And So you, you as the leader of your company, are, are doing that for other people, is helping to connect others and trying to add value that way? Of course, right? I mean, I think uh, you always be a resource. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love that. You know, there's, there's, uh, there's certain things you can be guarded in, right? But in our business where we, you know, push a bunch of dirt around and, and, and then put some sticks on it and build it up, right? Like you can't hide your business, right? I mean, you know, like it's, it's right there for the, the public to consume, right? And so is there any secret sauce in the product? No, right? But it's the secret sauce is, you know, putting all the parts together and getting it done, right? And that's based on relationships. Yeah. What's been for you one of the greatest challenges that you've had to overcome in your professional career? Oh man, where where does it where does it stop? I almost look at it and I say that uh, when there's one obstacle that you kind of overcome, the next one's just staring you right in the face. Yeah, you get done <laughs> with one and another pops up, right? right? I mean, that's the nature of being an, uh, being a leader, of course, right? And so you know, it's uh, you know, when I came back into the family business, we were in the the midst of the uh, you know financial crisis of the late 2000s, right? And you get past that and. And there was like a little bit of, uh, of, of a runway of, 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 of smoothness, right? And, you know, COVID hits you and all the crazy things that are associated with COVID, right? And, you know, you got these rises in interest rates. I think, though, like all that stuff is very solvable. Anything that's kind of economic driven, you know, it's just numbers, right? How can you plan for it? Um, how can you business plan around it? Um, how can you get everybody on the same page so that we're moving lockstep? Um, I would say though, the biggest, uh, the challenge, and we've been talking about it a lot today, right. Is people, right. Is that at some points you're going to have a diverging path with people, right. And it could be people that have been with you for a long time and, you know, that's never an easy thing. And I almost like uh, maybe it's like a divorce, which I've never experienced. But, uh, you know, you, you, you got this very tight knit relationship and experiences that you've gone through. And now it looks like it's going to end. How do you pull that stuff back? Is it worth pulling back together? Or do you is it for the best for everybody to go different ways? Right. And, you know, as a young person in the business, you look at any type of failure that's staring you in the face and you want to have a solution to it and fix it and make it right just like it was before, right? And I think that's kind of a lesson you learn with failure as you grow up in a business and, 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 and have to be a kind of a decision maker is that sometimes the loss is the loss, right? That you have to look at it as a loss. you got to grow from it and look at that loss as value, right? And when I look at obstacles, I think that uh, it's the negative ones that kind of help you uh, push, push ahead and persevere in the future, right? And so, and, and, and for us, you know, like I guess that's been product-wise, it's been people-wise, you can probably, um, uh, you know, associate that experience with a lot of different problems. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a big point. I appreciate you sharing that. It's not easy to walk away from a loss appreciating it and, and the gift that it brings to you. But as a leader, I think the earlier you can recognize that, the stronger you become and the, the quicker that next obstacle begins to minimize and minimize and minimize. And then you're, you know, you're on to the bigger stuff. You know, it's, it's, it, it, you got to keep a positive attitude, specifically when, when, when people are looking for you for direction, right? Like you got to keep a positive attitude. Uh, I was listening to a little snippet from Arthur Brooks, who's a Harvard professor. Former AEI leader, yes, yeah. American Enterprise Institute. Phenomenal individual, uh, amazing. right? Yeah. And, and, and his focus, is, I mean, he's like a, a, a real-life Ted Lasso. 
Yeah. Right. This is very positive and, mm-hmm. and, 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 and always kind of thinking in the direction of happiness. Um, and I think, you know, from a leader's perspective, right? Like you're going to have hard days, but like, you can't show that all the time. I mean, there's the, your, your emotions are your tools. My father told me one time, right? Like when I was a kid and, you know, like any kid, um, you're learning how to deal with your emotions. Uh, and so like, you know, if, if there was maybe a period of time in my life that like I would get angry about something that was fairly insignificant. He pulled me aside one day. It probably was like 11, 12 years old. And he's like, hey, listen, all these emotions, they're all tools in your toolbox, right? If you overuse one of those tools, right, it's going to get weak and dull. And he's like, so even your anger can be a great tool sometimes, right? But if you use it too much, it has no value. And so um, I think, you know, like there's a balance out there, right? And so sometimes, you know, you got to show a little bit of uh, frustration for people to understand how significant the situation is, right? But for the most part, I think you got to be able to define a clear path, uh, you know, keep hopes up, right, and, and keep moving forward. How were you able to achieve that, um, you know, during the last couple of years? It's been challenging. I mean, here in a situation where you have a lot of residents across the country relying on you, you want to keep them safe. I know mm-hmm. we talked about that, uh, especially coming out of COVID. But how do you display enough empathy to your team so that they can go about doing their business to ensure people feel safe and comfortable in a era where no one knows what's happening next? I think, uh, you know, that the, the pandemic um, was a scary time, right? And I don't think anybody could have predicted, you know, anything that would have ensued from from those early days of, 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 of 2020, right? Saying that, like, you know, you got this virus that's spreading in China. And, you know, it's, it's come to Seattle <laughs> that, you know, it's going to spread like wildfire. I, I, you know, we didn't know. And all of a sudden, it, it, you know, it's all over the country and you have fear, right? Even in places that it didn't exist, there was fear, right? And fear's a you know, that's a tough emotion to deal with, right? Because how do you make somebody less scared? It's not like you can just like, it's like fears like in a child where you just turn the lights on and everything's safe, right? Like, what are you going to do to make sure that you, you know, help everybody understand that despite everything that's going on, right, that we're going to make sure that we take the best steps forward to, to, to keep everyone safe and healthy moving forward. And, you know, it brought a whole different list of challenges. I mean, we're real estate developers and we're operators of senior housing and, and multifamily as well. But uh, never in your mind do you think that now all of a sudden you're going to be the uh, the uh, doomsday provider of of of, of care for this thousands of people. And so, what are we going to do, right? So all of a sudden you're 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 here that you're you're like on a trading desk figuring out how you're going to buy masks, right? How are you going to buy cleaning solutions? How are you going to do all these things, right? And so that's where the relationships come into play, right? And so where, whereas somebody may have been a great relationship for something entirely different, their resource to align on N95s mm. <laughs> that nobody else has, right? Yeah. And you're like, hey, look at us. This is what we need, right? And, and, and I, I mean, I remember early on when we were trying to gather masks, I sent out, an, uh, uh, we sent out a message to, you know, all our providers, I can't tell you how many of our guys came and dropped off their N95 masks, like our, our tradesmen, painters and contractors that had a bunch of these things that are sitting around for their team to, you know, help, um, you know, keep their team safe in, 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 in these construction environments. And they were like, you need these more than us. <laughs> we're going to come drop them off. I mean, it was a wonderful scene, right? And, and the, the beautiful part of that pandemic was that all these people coming together. Yeah. Right. And, and, and trying to be like all of a sudden, nothing else mattered. It's almost like a 9-11 moment. Right. That, 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 that you know, everybody kind of had the singular purpose of making sure that we did the right thing and make sure we keep everybody safe. Yeah, in times of tragedy, I think one of the greatest things about humanity, yeah. right, just in general, things happen. Look at all the people reacting. Look at all the people helping. Look at all the people willing to sacrifice. And your team was definitely in, in, one that was exceptional in that regard that you were out to do whatever it took to protect your people. Totally. I mean, 
we are nothing without the 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 the, the people that are on the ground, right? I mean, I think uh, our team did such a phenomenal job. You know, not to say there were a few scared folks, right? And they needed to step aside. You let them step aside because, you know, when when you're on the front lines of something scary, you don't need somebody that's shaking in their boots, that's indecisive, right? And so. Uh, lucky for us, there were very few people that were involved, right? Most of our folks were just like, nope, we got to go do this. We got to go do right? this. We got to get to the problem. And, and, and it was our job to make sure that we gave them the tools and resources to do it. So you took fear as a tool and you were able to, to solve for it by taking action. Mm -hmm. Give me a sense for, you know, 50 years, you, you've been with the company, I believe 20 Oh no! Less. Yeah, I'm, uh, yeah, much yeah. less. I, I think you were I in New am, York for several years, yeah. and then you came back. I'm 13. 13 in. Okay, yeah, 13. So in, yeah. in the last 13 years, do you have a favorite project that you say, Derek? This is the one that you know. Take a little extra look at this one because I had my hand on this one a little bit more. Do you have a favorite project in in the portfolio? No, I think uh, I think. Uh, for me, very diplomatic of you. Yeah, I mean, but it's true though, right? Because each one of them is is just, and uh, uh, like in, in growing up in the business, right? That like even though like I may not have been, you know, uh, have any type of authoritative responsibility in in, in any of these assets, like you know, I, you know, I, I was, uh, you know, in some of these deals, like I was walking in those uh, marshy waters with my father as a seven, eight year old. And he was uh, getting me to go out with them on Saturdays and Sundays because he promised me a Slurpee afterwards. Mm -hmm. Right. And so like, I have these kind of unique experiences with many of these assets that, uh, that, that are important. Right. Um, it, I think I've told you this before, Derek, is that, uh, you know, in a family business tough, right? Because, you get in there and then you got all this accomplishment from uh, from my father and my uncles, right? Like, what's your role and what's your responsibility in that, right? And, and it's a tough thing. And very early on, you know, I got some great advice and I said that, uh, hey, man, and this is from my, 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 my siblings that are in the business as well. They all know this, is that if you guys do well, the world around you is going to say you were bound to do well. It was all given to you. Conversely, if you mess it all up and you guys do poorly, right? The world around you is going to say you were bound to do poorly. It was just handed to you, right? And so <laughs> if, if you're out there looking for other people's approval in a family business, right? It's a tough, tough water to navigate. But, uh, uh, for us, I mean, I think, you know, like, you know, there, there are more recent projects that, uh, that myself and my, my siblings and, and even my father, and my uncles have had, you know, this kind of joint responsibility, uh, and, and, uh, they've been fun because there's a bit more risk associated with it on a, on a new development. Like, you know, there's a couple of them that we've done that maybe, uh, uh, the older guys didn't necessarily agree with. Right off the bat, and they're like, "I don't, I don't know, I don't know if this is it, guys." And and ultimately, it turns into something that is pretty successful, and uh, you get a pat on the back for a brief moment, mm -hmm. very brief, <laughs> a very brief moment, right? Um, uh, and those are kind of fun because uh, there's risk associated with it, right? And so, kind of seeing that through and, and navigating um, those type of early projects for us it was a good experience. Not to say that, you know, that doesn't exist in other parts of the operation, but, you know, if it's a 45-year-old asset that was, you know, built by my father and uncles when they were in their 30s, right? You know, yeah, they, they've already set the, they already set the, uh, the, the expectations, right? And all those, uh, the fundamental factors of that project are already in place. It's just your job to manage it. And I think I've told you before, right? That my job is not to figure out how to, you know, start at home plate and get on first, right? That uh, I was plopped right onto third base. My job is to make sure that we get runs, right? That I get, I, I get home and, 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 and that we uh, continue to, you know, add to the score. Yeah, I love that analogy. Embracing where you are in your position, but also thinking, all right, how do we move the ball forward? Uh, taking it from one uh, analogy to another, right? 
tell me what does success look like for you over the next 24 months? Uh, success over the next 24 months is, you know, navigating the current, uh, economic conditions, right? Um, a lot of, uh, frothiness in the market. And so, you know, you got, uh, asset values that are still really high. Um, you got interest rates that uh, continue to creep up and, you know, theoretically it should push asset values down, but it hasn't. Um, and then you have uh, the replacement value, these construction costs, right, that are greater than the asset value. <laughs> and so you have these kind of multifamily or these market fundamentals that, uh, that uh, don't necessarily um, align smoothly, right? Um, and part of it is, you know, like uh, pressure on wages, which I think is a good thing. Um, and then, you know, the cost of materials and, and goods and services and all that kind of stuff, right? So um, the market will continue to throw curveballs at you, right? And you got to be ready to catch them, right? Uh, not necessarily hit them, right? I look at more from a catcher's perspective, right? Like you got to be able to catch them, grab them in, throw them back. And so uh, um, – I think continuing to stay nimble. So success over the next 24 months is recognizing what's in front of us, continuing to stay nimble, and then doing what we've classically done, which is take advantage of the opportunities that are in front of you. Yeah, there's there's always going to be market conditions, external rates, catastrophes, tragedies. There's always going to be something externally that that's going to provide noise mm -hmm. um, in, in your your three-pronged approach. I like that is just be ready, be ready to catch the ball and then get ready to throw it back when the time's right. Yeah. So it's, pa it's also about patience. Also about patience. Right. And I think maybe that comes with the, uh, that, that classic long-term look that we have, which is, you know, take care of the people, take care of your customers, take care of the asset around you. Right. And, 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 you know, you'll be able to, you know, withstand periods uh, of difficulty. Right. And so, you got to be so patient so, ready. So when we talk in 24 months and we talk about, you know, how, how have the home runs been? You'll share with me what? I hope we'll have hit one, you know, like it's, <laughs> uh, it's, it's, uh, we'll have hit a couple home runs. You know, it's hard. Like even today, right? We, we're getting ready to start a deal in North Carolina, right? And it's expensive, right? And financing's tight. And uh, it's scary because of the way everything's laid out today. Um, but my guess is 24 months from now, we'll be so happy that we started it, right? And that uh, that'll be our home run is that, you know, when things are still tough and you question whether you should, you know, put your foot in or not, right? That we did, right? You got started. Yeah. That's a big part of it. That's it. Let me ask because, you know, it's a, because of the, the challenges of the market, I, I'd love to get a little insight from you on how you cultivate relationships with bankers and people that can help pull the lever to ensure that your vision and your dreams um, also come true, you know, based because uh, not everything always pencils out exactly. Things change, labor costs go up, talent, um, and just interest rates, right, as you mentioned. So how, how do you cultivate relationships with bankers that can be such play such a significant role in the vision that you create? Hey, lucky to have. Uh, father and uncles that kind of set the stage mm -hmm. in their relationships with uh, some of the bigger banks and uh, the transition of some of those relationships to myself and, and, and my siblings. Um, like, you, like just for that, we were, you know, just like we were putting on a, uh, on a tryout for my father and uncles on whether you were capable of, being somebody that contribute can contribute to a family business, I think he got to do the same for the relationships that were already built, right? And so, um, I think you know a lot of those lending relationships, um, they recognize that uh, they're in good hands. Um, a lot of that comes with communication, right? Seeing results. Um, not to say that I mean I mean you know, like it's not like uh, that uh, you know the, the the person that you're dealing with that. Uh, you know, conventional bank has uh, 
the key to, uh, you know, Scrooge McDuck's safe of, of gold coins, right? Like that person doesn't ultimately have the decision to give you everything you need, right? They got to take that, um, you know, idea and, you know, show it to their credit committee and to their board and say, hey, this is something that we think is going to be part of this risk profile or project profile that we want to be involved in. And a lot of that is just trust. Now, like when the market's hot, you know, like, and, and money's easy, right? Like, you know, deals will happen that don't necessarily um, need to have all the boxes checked, right? Because, you know, the market's hot. Money's got to go to work, right? But when market's tough, well, like we see today, right? Like you got a little bit of a credit crunch. Um, it's going to be based more on, on, you know, the track record that you guys have shown and the relationships you've built. And confidence in the brand. Confidence in the brand, right? Yeah. And so the brand, like, you know, like I said, like when we come into the family business, right, the business means most. And, and really that's protecting that brand, protecting that reputation. I love that. You know, sometimes people that follow my work and our podcast here, they, they might be uh, aspiring. They might be 20-something-year-old developer looking at their first site. They might be interested in building out a senior senior care facility. What advice would you have for them as they not on the economic side, removing, you know, the economic conditions and cost of money and all that. But in terms of going in all in after their dreams, what advice would you have for them? Surround yourself with smart, capable people and don't be scared to move forward. I love that. Simple. Yeah. So the, the people you surround yourself with and then go all in, don't be scared, scared about anything. Yeah. No, I, I got a, a, you know, my father's best friend, was significantly older than him, almost like a father figure to him, was in the development community as well. And, you know, when I was a teenager, he's long since passed, but when I was a teenager early in my college days, anytime I came home, he's like, we're going to have lunch. And, and I would sit down with him and, and we'd, you know, just hang out for an hour, two hours, that type of thing. He told me a long time ago, I was probably 17, 18 years old, and he's like, if you don't throw the darts, you can't hit the bullseye. It's plain and simple. Very simple. Right? Yeah, it goes back to that uh, Wayne Gretzky quote, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. Exactly. Similar. Exactly. Yeah. You got to be willing to yeah. try. That's it. Right? And I think if you go to a lot of entrepreneurs, and again, I'm in a completely different path. Like that 25-year-old, 26-year-old that's trying to start his deal from scratch on his own, right, is in a completely different space than myself and my siblings are in. But you got to be able to move forward and you got to go back to like, if it doesn't work out, there's a value add to you. Mm. The lesson, the lesson along the way. What was one of the best pieces of advice that you got from a outside mentor? So understand you have this amazing access to your family, the relationships you're with them weekly, daily. That's great. But externally, you also, I know you cultivate relationships with people that can add some value to you and maybe you can, take them a challenge or you could take them, I guess it's a two-pronged question. How have you cultivated relationships with external mentors and what's the greatest piece of advice that you've gotten from one over the years? I think uh, external mentors is a combination of, of folks that are, you know, already have maybe a, a strong relationship with one of my fathers or uncles or siblings, right? And um, they understand kind of where we come from and what we do, um, but they don't, they, they kind of have an unbiased look, right? And so um, they always can be extremely helpful, right? Uh, some of the other guys is just, you know, people that, uh, that, you know, I used to work for, right? Or a professor that I had, right? Those guys can be, uh, you know, a, a great mentor or even like, you know, some of your friends that are in different parts of the country, completely different industries, uh, but have gone down this path of, 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 of success and challenges, right? And, and they can also be a great resource, right? And it's just continuing to keep those lines of communication open. Um, but uh, I, I'd say that the one that kind of comes back to me now, right, is that uh, uh, life will throw a lot of stuff at you, right? You get lost in it, right? Um, he's like, don't forget who you are, where you came from, and the simple parts of your philosophy, right, and your family's philosophy. Said, always got to have that North Star. Right? Don't get caught up in the nonsense and the noise. 
It's great advice. Um, give me some advice. Give me friendly advice as I, as I look to build what I'm working on. You know, I'm an entrepreneur myself. I'm not in real estate or multifamily, but I'm in the people business. And I'm hungry to learn how I can develop relationships with people I care about and want to grow with. And uh, maybe somebody can pick something up from this. I think, uh, Derek, uh, when you and I sit down every so often, I always sit there. I, I always tell you, I was like, you know, just an amazing connector of people. I ran into another guy that we both know very well last week. And he's like, I see that uh, uh, you're going to be with Derek uh, for his uh, his podcast and uh, his uh, networking event that he's putting on. And he's like, uh, he's like, so what's the value to you guys, this and that, right? And I was like, I don't know necessarily. Like, I can't sit there and quantify, like, if we do A, B, and C, right, that D will happen. Right, right. right? But, but I do know that if I call Derek and I say, Derek, I'm having this issue. I need to be able to talk to this person at so-and-so organization. Can you get me there? Yeah. <laughs> and Derek will say, give me a couple hours. Yeah. I'll get back to you. For sure. Right? And... And I look at that relationship and I say that, you know, that's, uh, the, or the relationship that you've created with, with all these people around you. And I say, that's a wonderful talent. Thank you. Um, and I guess relationships bring opportunity. Mm -hmm. And so, um, and I know that you're a great listener, mm -hmm. but like, you know, continue to keep those ears open, right? Yeah. Because that's where you see the pivots and whatnot. One of my favorite Derek experiences was we, we were, we were, uh, I was, uh, at a networking thing with, uh, at a big insurance company and they had their board there and there was a significant university president that was walking on this tour of this building with us and around the corner uh, comes Derek and another guy in the industry right Joey and uh, walking down and we see each other we make eye contact and here's this university presence like oh my god Derek it's so good to see you and I'm just looking at her and I'm like my God, they're like hugging, like they haven't seen each other for years, yeah. right? Like that, that relationship and joy and mm. seeing each other, right? Yeah. And so I, 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 I see what Derek does and, and the, the relationships he's able to create. And uh, it's definitely something that I aspire to do. I appreciate right? that. And yeah. so uh, uh, a lot of value and a lot of skill that you have. Thank uh, you. But I think it's all just very genuine. Yeah. And, and, uh, and, and I, I think people see, I see it, right? I appreciate that. Yeah. To your point, I don't always know where these things go, right? I don't, it's like, if you look at, in your business, there's a piece of land, mm -hmm. there's a vision, there's an outcome that you're trying to produce, and there's, you know, markers along the way to help you get there. I don't exactly have all the answers for where I'm going. I just know that the more I build relationships with people and the more I help them when they call, my life works, There were, you know, everything works great. And, you know, I just think the sky's the limit when you build relationships the right way. There's no telling what the outcomes could be. And I'm a firm believer that for any goal that we have, personally or professionally, we get there faster when we're building relationships authentically. True. And uh, I think you realize this, and the rest of the country and the globe may not understand it, right? But there is such an amazing group of talented people in this Metro Detroit area, right? Just extremely careful, care, uh, creative um, hardworking, ingenuitive, right? I mean, just absolutely like top class folks. And I think the rest of the, 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 the country doesn't know it or see it because, you know, maybe we get a little bit of a negative brand on, uh, from certain places. Um, but you have like, you're building them up. Yeah. Right. Thank you're letting, you're creating this type of, uh, environment that's showcasing that talent, not only here, but, to other folks as well that are in different parts of this country. I appreciate that. It's awesome. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. Well, thank you for being here today. Of course. I appreciate the conversation, learning the Sing story. We'll have to do this again, especially in 24 months when you have your your project uh, that you're ready to talk about. But for now, you know, this this for me has been amazing to understand what it takes to build a 50-year-old brand that has the trust and the confidence and respect of its peers of its vendors, service providers, and most importantly, the families that you serve in, in these communities. 
Um, what, what did I ask you the number of how many units you had? Do you guys share that? Is that cool? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, it's on the website, right? Yeah, I mean, all this stuff's there. You could count it if you wanted to. Yeah, um, you know, give us a number. Give us an idea for the number if you're comfortable with it. We're, we're probably somewhere around five or six thousand multifamily units, and another about five thousand senior um, senior housing units. Yeah. Um, but you know, uh, uh, a thousand or so of each in our pipeline. Yeah, yeah, and it's not the number. It's the output. It's what you're. It's the delivery of, of service, class, respect. I think that you guys are so focused on that, and that comes out with the people that are around you and people that speak of you, which I think is priceless. We could easily churn out more units, right? Um, but again, there's only so much we can do at one moment, whether it's you know, uh, capital constraints or debt constraints or um, just general like. Uh, um, overhead type of constraints, right? And, and so um, for us, it's really about, you know, making sure that we pick the right project that we know um, has some good legs to it and uh, it's going to serve that community well, uh, that our team can 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 absorb it and, and make sure that we can manage it properly and that, again, that the, the end user, the customer, will have a good experience. And do you and your siblings and the cousins, do you foresee this, Hey, we're going to be around another 50 years. I mean, or is there a interest to exit or you, this is the, Hey, this is a family business. We want to continue to go and grow. I mean, we're always going to try. Yeah. Right. I think, uh, you know, like as generations in 50 years, you know, I'm uh, going to be, I'm already an old man. And so like 50 years, Please. hopefully I'm around. Right. And so, um, yeah, I tore my Achilles, man. I'm an old man. Yeah. <laughs> Lean and mean. Lean uh, and mean. But, uh, I think we're always going to strive for it. You know, the, the name of the family's on the business, right? Um, I think we see the value in that and, and the value to the community. Um, and we'll keep it going for as long as the world wants us to keep going. What does that mean for you? I mean, so having the family name right on the top, what does that mean to you? It means that, uh, that this is bigger than just you, right? That you represent a whole lot more than just yourself. Right. That's that whole concept of, you know, for any business to be successful, you got to analyze the numbers and all those good things to make sure is there a return? Is it going to be profitable? Is, is it sustainable for the future? Um, but for us, is also are, are we representing the name proudly? We're we representing it well. And so that's everything. That's everything. It's all in the name. Saab, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much for the conversation, the background, and just uh, opening up your heart and, and sharing a little bit about the story. Awesome. Appreciate you, Derek. Thank you. Thank you. Well, I uh, hope you enjoyed this edition of the Power Connector podcast with Saab Grewal, principal at Sing Development Experts in multifamily, senior housing, but most importantly, putting people first as they build their brand and portfolio for the first 50 years on to the next 50 years. Uh, appreciate you being here today, Saab, and uh, I know we'll see each other very soon. Appreciate you, Derek. Thank you.